are continuing our, our Good, Bad, and the Ugly uh, series as we're looking through the book of uh, 1 Corinthians this morning. Before we dive into that, though, a couple of announcements I want to hit. First of all, we have uh, our young adult group, which is going really great, by the way, and I'm really excited about uh, the people that have been showing up for that group, and, and it is... Um, it's really incredible to see the diversity there too. We have a lot of like fresh grads and a lot of um, uh, on the older end of the spectrum of the young adults that are, are you know some of them are married and some of them are are not. But it doesn't matter. It's just a good variety of of young adults in this group and 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 they're doing great. And so they're they're moving their night to Monday night this week, and uh, the start time will now be six thirty, and that's going to be at Eric and Ashley Johnson's house. And the address is up there, 1665 Fulmore. It's over across the street from Conejo Park. And uh, so uh, jot down that address and, um, and uh, show up for that if you're between the ages of 18 and 29. That'll be good. Also, speaking of young adults, uh, we're launching, we talked about last week, we're launching our Leadership Academy uh, where we're going to be taking on some uh, young adult interns for the next six months. Uh, to really engage you in training you to be church leaders and also like, give you an area of leadership that is yours to lead and, and to help you through that process, a mentoring process as well. And so there are applications with more details over on the uh, info table. Uh, feel free to pick up one of those. We'll be accepting these applications all this month. All right? All right. So let's dive in. So this, this is a, you know, we talked about how the reason I, I called this series The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly is because this church is... It's a very mixed bag. Like any church, there are some good things going on. But with this church in particular, there are also some bad things happening. We've been talking about for the past few weeks that there has been a lot of uh, divisiveness and that sort of thing happening in the church. Um, and, but then there's also some downright ugly stuff that's, been, that's going on, and we're getting that to that today. So we're opening up a big can of ugly this morning, uh, so get ready. This is one of those chapters, though, as I was uh, kind of preparing for it, um, Part of me dreaded, actually, a lot, a lot of 1 Corinthians. I'm starting to wonder why God uh, led me to 1 Corinthians, because a lot of the passages of 1 Corinthians, I'm really dreading preaching, uh, because there's just some really difficult passages. And this one in particular is not that it's so much difficult. Like, sometimes the Word of God is hard because it's hard to understand, and sometimes it's hard because it's just hard to hear. Does that make sense? And this is one of those that's hard to hear. And, and so we're just going to dive in. You know, as I was preparing this week, I was thinking, Paul is so, you, you guys, I mean, if you've been around very long, you know Paul, I mean, he is, he's so straightforward in, in his thinking and, and a lot of times very blunt in his words. And, um, and so a, a lot of, as I was preparing, I was looking through this chapter, chapter five, and I was thinking, you know, how, how to present this in a way that that won't run everybody off, and and then and then I was like, you know, Paul didn't sugarcoat this, and so I, I can't sugarcoat it myself, and so let, we're just going to live in this space this morning, okay? And and so this this is where it is. So so like I said, Paul writes this this letter to this church in the city of Corinth. It's a Greek city, uh, controlled obviously by the Roman Empire. They're a very wealthy city, a very uh, educated city. They pride themselves on their knowledge and philosophy and things like that. And, and, uh, and, and consider themselves, they, they have kind of an arrogance about themselves where they really consider themselves to be kind of enlightened. You know, they look around the world at, at everybody else and, you know, kind of pity the rest of the world. And I wish everybody else was as enlightened as we are. And, and that's kind of their status. So Paul speaks a lot to their pride and their arrogance. <coughs> Pardon me. Anybody only get four hours of sleep last night like me? Anybody? Yeah. Hey, hey. All right. We should start a support group. All right. So, um, so 
it's, that's kind of where Paul is in, in this. And when he gets to chapter 5, he's, he's just kind of gone through a four-chapter-long discourse on the importance of having unity in the church and not being divisive and, and things like that. And now he's, getting, he's kind of getting to the point of, I think, why he probably was writing this letter in the first place. Um, because it's a big issue. It's a big issue that needed to be addressed. So verse 1 says... It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that's not tolerated even among pagans for a man has his father's wife. I'll let you take a drink too. So, so Paul has heard the reports of, of, you know, Paul liked to keep in tr- touch with the churches that he planted. And he's heard the reports that are going on in this church where he's like, yeah, there's one of the, one of the believers there, one of the members of this church is is now having an intimate relationship with his father's wife. Now, not, he's not necessarily talking about his mom, probably his stepmom. It's probably what he's actually referring to, a, a, a wife that his father had married. And, and Paul's comment here is that, like, this isn't just jacked up for church life. This is just jacked up for life in general, right? He's like, he's like this is not me going, be good church people. This is just me going, you're better than this. Like, like you, I, we should be able to expect more than you, you know, sleeping with your stepmama. That's just weird. It's just, it's just weird. Why, what, what is going on there? And, and, and like, I, I, I think Paul's having a hard time wrapping his head around this. And he's going, this is not, this is not okay. And it's not okay in any realm of life. Do you guys realize that a lot of times I think we, when we start talking about morality issues, if you're like me, I tend to think, well, I believe that because I'm a Christian. But there are some morality issues that transcend faith, that they're just, it's just what decent people do. Like, you don't have to be a Christian to not be an alcoholic. Does that make sense? Like, like every decent person in the world generally would agree, like, I don't really want to be an alcoholic. That, you know, I, you don't have to be a Christian to not beat your wife. Like, most people agree that that's a bad plan of, of life, right? Just wife beating as a, as a, as a life skill. Like, that, that's, not, that's not what you do. And, and so some morality just rises above faith. There are, there are moral issues that might be unique to our faith. And Paul is like, this one is not one. This one's not something that's unique to our faith. This is just, it's just icky. And, and, and even people that aren't Christians in your town agree. And what he's referring to is that there are actually laws on the book in Corinth that forbade this kind of activity. And it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a big deal to the point that if you were convicted of, found guilty of, of doing this sort of thing, they would actually run you out of town. It was like, you can't, you can't live among us if you're going to do that. That's just not right. That's like, there are lines in society and you can't cross certain lines. And so Paul... Paul's outraged, and, and, and so this is definitely one of those kind of ugly things that's going on. He says, he says, and you're arrogant. You're arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. And Paul's point here is that he's like, it's like it's not just that you see it happening and aren't doing anything about it, but you actually kind of speak about it in this proud, arrogant way, like, oh, look how enlightened we are, you know, that we're just open in all kinds of relationships. And does that sound familiar? So like like just all this kind of stuff and and uh, and Paul's just like wow and you're 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 arrogant but you should 
That should cause some mourning in your heart. It should cause, it should cause some pain for you to know that one of your brothers in Christ is, is behaving in this way, and that should not be a, an area of pride. It should not be something that you're arrogant about. It, you, you guys got to get this evil out of your congregation because it's, it's like a cancer that's, that, that can spread in your congregation. You just don't want that. And this is the thing about that idea of, because this is so descriptive of our society where there's this idea that, you know, if you've got sexual freedom, sexual knowledge, whatever that others don't have, then you are somehow more enlightened person than those that don't. I, we all experienced it maybe in high school, like, like, you know, if you were a virgin in high school or whatever, and, and it's like, oh, you just don't understand life the way all of us non-virgins understand life. And, you know, it's just they hold this up as some sort of thing to be attained to, and, and it's, it's insanity. It's really insanity to, to think that way. I, in fact, when I was a youth pastor, I, I put together a video once because uh, I was doing a, a, teaching a series about sex uh, to the teenagers and and I put together this video where I just edited together like a lot, like way too much footage of just different animals having sex. Just, just pick an animal. It was in the video. And, and, and in fact, one, one day, I, the only, it was back before everybody had a computer. And, and, uh, and the only computer we had in the church was the one that we ran the sound system off of or the video stuff. And, and I was editing together this video, and the pastor came up to behind me, and he was like, what are you doing? And, and I was just like, there's a, there's a purpose here, <laughs> trust me, you know. And, and so, but it, the whole purpose of showing this video to the kids was, was like, you, anybody, any being with half a brain has sex, it doesn't make them more enlightened. It doesn't make them more enlightened. I mean, just look around, all the people in the world that are having sex, they're not all winners, right? <laughs> they're not all winners, and so it, it's this idea that, that somehow you're a more enlightened individual because you have that experience or you have that, you know, this kind of free attitude about, about sex or sexuality or whatever. It's just hogwash. It doesn't make any sense because if that's what causes you to be an enlightened person, like I think if you really judge that, you know, by what we see in life, by what we actually see in life, You'll see that that's not those people aren't necessarily more enlightened than anybody else, and I think Paul is like, this is this is ridiculous. Why would you take pride in this, right? So he keeps going. He says uh, in verse three, "For though absent in body, I'm present in spirit, and as if present, I've already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing." He says, "When you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus." And my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus. You're to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. This gets weird. And, 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 and let me just kind of try to break down what Paul's talking about here. He's, he's saying, first, of all, first off, what he's saying is that even though I'm not there with you, I'm, as, as the guy who planted the church, as a guy who loves you, as your former pastor, I'm always with you in spirit. And so I'm, 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 I keep tabs on you. I, you know, I, I, I care about you. It's not that he's trying to be some sort of moral police for the congregation or anything like that. He's just like, you know, I'm, I'm always with you in spirit. And, and, and so if you need to feel like you need some extra authority to make some tough decisions, have some tough conversations with people, know that I go with you in that. And you can use my name if, if you need to, you know, that sort of thing. And so 
And then he says, he says, so this is what I want you to do. He's like, you're to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So deliver him to Satan. Like, what is that? That doesn't sound very Christian. And, you know, and, and so what we start to get into here for, for the rest of this chapter is this, um, this process, this, this uh, um, area of church life that we would refer to as church discipline. Now, now, none of us like to think about being disciplined, right? Some of us are gra- glad we graduated from discipline after we left our parents' homes, right? I mean, we don't, you know, it's like, who do you think you are that you can discipline me? Um, and so I, I, want, I, I want you to reserve judgment for a little bit till we get to the end of the chapter, and then I'm going to kind of explain everything all together. But, but suffice it to say that when, when Paul talks about discipline and when we talk about discipline in, in church life, we're not talking about ganging up on people and making them feel like crap about themselves. We're not talking about rejecting them and kicking them out of the church or anything like that necessarily. Like what we're talking about is looking at a brother or sister who is, by the actions of, of their life, headed off of a moral cliff and stepping in front of them and going, wait, like I'm concerned. Like, I, I love you too much just to keep letting you go this way. Let's talk. Let's, how can I pray for you? How can I, how can I help? I know you probably don't want to be on this path yourself. Like, how, how can we kind of put the brakes on this thing and, and get you back kind of living in a way that you know is the life that God's called you to live? Like, one of the things that we lose, we lose track of, and this is, this is such a lie of our culture, that you will hear things, and by the way, the next few chapters, Paul's going to occasionally reference to sexual immorality and stuff like that. And so, um, but one of the big lies of our culture is that <coughs> if we, um, you'll hear people say things to the effect of, um, you know, it's just human nature. It's just it's against human nature to try to be a one woman man or a one man woman. It's it's against human. I mean, we're we're not created for monogamy. We're not you know that, that's 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 against human nature. As if if you just went out and just kind of unleashed all of your moral taboos and just lived by whatever felt right, that somehow you would be more human than someone else. And actually, the message of, of the gospel is that when Jesus came and as our Messiah and he ushers in this new kingdom way of doing things, what he's actually teaching us to do is to be truly human, human the way God created us to be. Like, it wasn't just these random teachings. It was Jesus going, if you really want to live fulfilled, if you really want to live up to your creative, created potential, then this is the pattern for how to do that. And you can, it's possible for you to do that because I've paid the price for your sins. You know, and yes, you're going to screw up and yes, you're going to sin, but it, none of that matters. I've taken all that off the table now because what matters is you keep going, you keep living up to the way God has created you and and everything else will just will kind of fall into place. Through Jesus Christ, we, the, the one person who was able to come and live a perfect life, the true Israelite, the true human, Jesus Christ, 
He is the example for us on how to be truly human. And I've often wondered this. I, th- I think I've, I've said this from up here before, but like, what if, just entertain this thought for just a second. What if, you know, you look at Jesus and, and he was able to do all these miraculous things. He's walking on water and he's turning water into wine. And, and he's, I mean, he's, he's healing people and he's, he's feeding thousands with, with, a, with a lunchable. He's, I mean, he's just doing all these things, right? And, and, and you look at all that and you're like, man, that, that, like, he had this power that none of us could have taken. And what if the reason he was able to do that wasn't because he was God, but because he was actually living to the fullest of his human potential. What if the reason he had that kind of power is because he was able to shed the bondage of sin and be exactly who God has created all of us to be? Like, what if that power is actually, and I think he even told us this, what if that power is actually available to all of us? If we would just shed that sinful life and be the true image bearers of God that we were created to be. And I think that's one of the most beautiful parts of the gospel is that the God, and we get it so backwards in our heads because we're just brainwashed by our society that to think that, you know, to, to put these whatever, you know, boundaries, restrictions, whatever you want to call them in your life is you suppressing your human nature. Now, suppressing your sinful nature and suppressing your human nature are two different things. Two completely different things. But then he, he, he has this weird statement where he tells him, you know, you need to let this guy go. Deliver him to Satan. That's a weird, it's, again, it's a very weird thing to say. He says, deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. And what Paul is actually saying, he's like, and this is because this is what God does with all of us. God doesn't force any of us to follow him. It's one of the things I love most about God. He allows us to choose him. And, and, and Paul's saying, you know, and we, let's do basically with him what God does with you. If you want to go down that path, okay. But you'll go down that path and you're going to find out that it's not going to go well for you. Go ahead. Go ahead. Head towards sin. Head towards all, all the temptations that the enemy's trying to tempt you with and everything else, go ahead, head towards that. Let's see how that goes. And that idea that he says, he says, for the destruction of his flesh, for the destruction of his flesh, I, I, a lot of people debate what Paul might mean by that. Is he saying, you know, deliver him up so he'll, he'll die? I, I, think it's, I think it's more an observational thing. Have you guys ever seen somebody that was once... Uh, a strong follower of Christ, wander so far away from God that you bump into them somewhere and they don't even look like the same person. They look unhealthy. You, ever, you know what I'm talking about? Like you can just see it. Like they're just hard living. It's just hard living written all over their life and in, in their skin tone and in everything else. And it's just like, it's just an observation to go, you know what, this is what's going to happen. You keep going down that path and there's a good chance it's not going to go well for you. It's not gonna, you're destroying yourself. But if that's what you want, if you prefer that to the gospel, if you prefer that to Jesus Christ, then go. Go. But what you can't do, and this is what Paul's saying, but what you can't do is stay here and pretend that Jesus is your Lord because obviously he's not. Like, 
It's, you can't pretend that Jesus is the master, boss, controller, Lord of your life when obviously you are your own Lord. You've chosen something and someone other than Christ. And he goes on in verse 6. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Now here he's going to go into a little bit of teaching that references the Jewish uh, uh, Passover uh, tradition and things like that. And basically, it all started uh, back in the book of Exodus when uh, you know, they were being released from bondage in, in Egypt. And I'm not going to go into the whole, whole story, but, but what would happen every year when they would celebrate the Passover is that they would basically clean house, clean the kitchen. They would wash and scrub all the pots and pans and everything that they would prepare meal, meals in. Anything, you, guys know, you guys know the beauty of a good um, uh, seasoned uh, um, cast iron skillet, how awesome that is, just how amazing that is. Like I got, I got a, a cast iron skillet recently, had it seasoned beautifully, and then, and then became vegetarian. And I was like, what? So, yeah, I know. Anyway, so, so anyway, but I still use it once in a while. But, uh, but anyway, so but it, there's nothing more beautiful than a seasoned skillet, and it's just, it just adds that flavor. It adds, it's, it's so good, right? And you're just, I mean, you're just coating it in lard, coating it in lard, and all right, I'm sorry. So anyway, the thing, the thing with that is that part of their tradition was like starting brand new every year, and they would take all those seasoned pots and pans and scrub them down to the bare metal, get rid of anything that, would, uh, that they considered would uh, be impure in that or whatever, and just get it down to bare and start fresh again every single year with that. And so it, this is, that's kind of the, the, uh, the idea here. He says, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may, have, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He's like, he's like, you guys know, you know when, you're, when you're putting together bread and you add that leavening, that, that leavening goes throughout the whole lump of, 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 of dough, and, and you can't just keep it into one little area. It spreads. And he said, this is, the, this is basically what sin is able to do in your congregation. If you, if you allow sin to just be rampant, and especially like really distorted, evil, perverted stuff going on in your congregation, and you just kind of treat it with a wink and a, a nod... He's like, that, that stuff spreads. It spreads like a cancer. It spreads like leaven through the whole lump, and it keeps going, verse 9. He says, he refers to a, a previous letter that he had written them. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. And he says this, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater or reveler or drunkard or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you're to judge? God judges those outside. And then he quotes Moses uh, all throughout the book of Deuteronomy. At least a dozen times Moses used this, uses this phrase. He says, purge the evil person from among you. So again, the concept here is, he's like, he's like you, you guys are getting it backwards, it's, and, and, this, and we still get it backwards today. It's so easy for us to point out the sin of the world, 
Oh, did you see that TV show? Or did you see, you know, did you hear about the sinful behavior on the news or all the gossip, you know, latest tabloid TV or whatever else? And it's so easy to point out the sin of other people. And Paul's point is like, you're getting that backwards. I didn't, that's not what I meant for you to do. Like you can't just judge the world or else you'd have to take yourself out of the world altogether. You'd be just constantly judging people, right? It's like, no, 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 judge those that are in your midst. In other words, purge the evil that's inside. Make sure you are holding people to Christ-like standards inside the body of Christ. It's like God will judge those outside. That's, again, above your pay grade to do that, right? But he's given you the ability and responsibility to help people along and, and, and do some judging within. Now, we, now, I know, you know, Jeff, the Bible says judge not lest you be judged. And it also says this. The Bible says lots of things, so get off of it, okay? Right? That's what I love about the Bible. It just says lots of things. <laughs> People say, well, the Bible says this. Yeah, and it says this over here, too, and we've got to deal with all of that, right? The, the, the thing is, yeah, we don't want to be a judging people. And, and church discipline is not about us being judgmental. Church discipline, again, is about us rescuing people, brothers and sisters, who are headed towards their own destruction, why? Because that's what love does. That's what love does. Like when you love someone, you don't just watch them destroy their lives. Just hope it's going to go okay. Fingers crossed. Right? We don't do that. You don't do that with your kids. Kids running out in traffic, you don't go, let's see how this turns out. Right? No, you jump out there and you whip them back in and Maybe give them a swat on the diaper or whatever, but you, you teach them some sort of lesson to make sure that they know, like, this is going to go bad for you. You can't, you can't keep doing that. And maybe you let them, you know, in smaller things, you let them make some mistakes on their own, you know. It's like you keep telling them, hey, that's hot. It's going to burn you. Like, don't stick that in your mouth. It's really, really hot. And you told them like 12 times. You're like, okay, fine, stick it in your mouth. See what happens, right? And then they're crying. You're like, yeah, I know. I'm smart, right? Right? <laughs> Maybe you'll listen to me from now on, right? And so, so I mean, you, you kind of do that with your kids because you care about them, because you love them. It's not that you're so great and they're so not. It's that you want to guide them in a way that, like, love disciplines. Love disciplines. It's not love if it doesn't, if, if there's no discipline involved. It's not love. Like, it's not just anybody that you, this is true of anybody that you care about. Anybody, not just your kids. Your best friends, your, 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 your other people in your life that you're, you're crazy about, your husbands, your wives, whatever. I'm not talking about weird discipline. I'm just talking about like when, like when you, like if, if you see your spouse going off the rails, you jump in there and you have some hard talks and some hard conversations and what can we do to fix this and, and whatever else. You know, it's, it's that sort of thing. And we've got this big hang up in our head about this concept of, Discipline because we don't want to be the judging people. In the meantime, we're not judging our churches straight to hell. We're not judging them straight into hell because none of us want to offend anybody. That's tough. I'm, I, I, here's the thing. It's this kind of tightrope walk. It's this balancing act because if you're the person that loves discipline, you've got issues. You've got some serious issues. You've got some things you need to work through. You, you don't really have a strong understanding of the good news of Christ and grace and everything else. I mean, if, you, if you're just like waiting to pounce on people and be like, ah, you know, you're, you're horrible, whatever. 
That, you've got some issues. If you're the, if on the opposite end of that spectrum, if you are that person who's like, uh, no, it's not my business. I've got my own issues to work. Listen, we all have our own issues to work out. It's not like Paul was perfect, right? Every one of us have our own issues. It's like when you, you as a parent, if you discipline your kids, it's not, you don't discipline because I'm perfect and therefore I have the authority to discipline you. No, you just discipline them because you love them. Excuse me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you just do it because you love them, right? And the same thing is true in church life. Like when we do, when we have these hard conversations with each other, when, 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 when we do that for each other, it's an act, and it should be an act of love, an act of grace. Like one of the things I honestly love the most about this church because I've been a part of churches where this wasn't the case. One of the things I love the most is that we are a church who's not afraid to have hard conversations with each other. And it's never like, it's never done in arrogance, it's never done in pride, it's never done in anything other than love and concern and care. Like, we've, done, we've been through church disciplinary procedures with people in this congregation. That sounds way harsher than I even want, like, like it for it to sound. But all that looks like is you noticing a sinful, destructive pattern in someone's life. Not, not just simply sin, by the way, because we all sin. But an ongoing pattern that, that indicates a lifestyle or a life decision has been made to, that you're heading towards sin with complete disregard for what Christ has called you to. And when we notice that in one of our brothers or sisters, we love each other enough to go, let's, let's get some coffee, I need to talk to you. You have a conversation with them. Like, I've, I've been noticing this, what's going on? Like, help. You, you don't assume anything off the bat, right? Like, help me understand, what's going on? Am I misreading this situation, first of all? You know, what, what's going on? And then, and then if it is what you think it is, then you... Say, oh, how, how can I help? How can I be praying for you? I know this isn't what you want for your life. And, and I know that for you not to do this might be a difficult decision for you. So you just kind of enter into this kind of partnership in the gospel with this person to kind of help point each other back to Jesus. It's an act of love. One of the things I love most about the elders of our church is that we're willing to have those kind of conversations with people. And it's never, hey, um, we noticed you were sinning, and you can't be at Living Hope anymore. That's insane. It's always like exactly like what I just described. I'm concerned. How can we help? How can we help? What would it help if maybe you, you, you took a break from some of the ministries that you're serving in, and just let's do some one-on-one -on -one time together and let me do some counseling with you, some mentoring with you, some, some discipling with you. Let's get you back on track so that we can restore you again. And we've never had, so far, we've never had the person unrepentant going, no, this is my decision, this is what I'm going to do. Every single time, every person who, who, who we've approached has always come out of that going, it's probably the most loved I've ever felt by a church. Probably the most loved I've ever felt. And what Paul's describing here is somebody who is just unrepentant. They're like, no, this is the direction I'm going, and you guys just have to deal with it. 
And then he's going, okay, if they're not, if Jesus isn't their Lord, then let them go their own way and see where that path leads. Just let them go. He's like, he's like, and when he says, don't even eat with them, he's not saying you can't ever, you know, like you have to turn the other way on the sidewalk if you see them or, or whatever, you know, avoid them. Or that's not what he's talking about. I think really what he's talking about is is Christ's meal. I think he's talking about when these churches, these groups would come together in homes and they would, they would share that meal, the Lord's Supper together. And because it's so symbolic of the most beautiful act of grace that has ever been given to humanity. He's like, he's like, it's time for you to go. You can't keep taking and remembering and recalling this beautiful sacrifice that was given to you and you live in the life that you're living and treating that sacrifice so cheaply. So cheaply. So this is what we're going to do. We're, you, can't, you can't be here and call yourself brother anymore. But we love you and we still want to keep getting together with you. We want to, still, still kind of, we want to help you. We want to restore you to the fellowship. It's all done in the, in, with restoration in mind. Now, the big point for today that I want to kind of drive home is this, is that discipling without discipline is void of grace. Let that sink in for just a second. Discipling without discipline is void of grace. Like, when we talk about the grace of God, when we talk about that, that Jesus looked at all of us, all humanity, and made a way for us to not have to be perfect to stand before a holy God. Like he forgave us of all of our sins. And then, and then what does Jesus say over and over and over? He, he tells us to go out and forgive others too. Like take that same grace that was given to you and bestow it on others. But here's the thing about grace and here's the thing about forgiveness. That while it's available to all, the only ones who received it, receive it are the ones who repent. The ones who actually want to walk towards Jesus and make him Lord of their life. And so for us to pretend like nothing's going on when horrible sin is taking place, we're actually robbing that person the opportunity to go through a very grace-filled process of repenting and experiencing the grace of God in their life again. We just keep sweeping it under the rug. And guys, can I just be honest with you? Like, this is just practical. There's no verse for this necessarily. Like, in today's day and time, the reputation that the church has, we cannot afford to sweep sin under the rug anymore. The world is tired of the church sweeping sin under the rug. Tired of it. It, it is the fodder of comedians and you know, 24 hours news networks and everything else. The fact that these so-called holy people will take the most horrible things, things that are even horrible to them, and sweep it under the rug like it never happened. We can't do that anymore. Not if we want to regain um, what the church once had in our society, which was a level of honor and respect. You guys know that, that 
If you, if you go back to the times of, you know, the first couple centuries of the, the church, first two or three hundred years of the church, even non-Christian historians that were writing about things of that day, one of the things, that, whenever Christians came up and churches came up, one of the things that would always come up in their historic writings was that something to the effect of, yeah, you know, they, they worship this guy, they say he's alive again, and, you know, it's a little crazy or whatever, but they'll, they'll always come back to this. One thing you, you can say about them, though, is that when it comes to uh, sexuality, these people are pure. These people are pure. They don't play around with that. Like, they live upright, and, and not, like in a, not writing about them in a way that was making fun of them, but in, a, in an admirable way, like, you know, the whole world might be falling apart around us and morals are loose and everything, but one thing you can count on a Christian is that they understand sexuality in a way that I don't think we do. Fast forward to today, and, and most surveys would say that a lot of Christians today have about the same moral standards for sexuality as anybody else in the world. We've lost some of that. We've lost some of that that and we're going to get into that in the coming weeks of why is that such a big deal for Christians? Why is, it, why is it important that in that area of life that there be something that sets us apart from the way society is going? And like I said, in coming weeks, we're going to get into that. But this is what I know. If we are a church that just sweeps everything under the rug and pretends like nothing bad is ever happening, just, ah, oh, just let, you know, that's just so-and-so, that's just the way they are, then before long, there will be nothing substantial about us. And this is not a rejection of the idea of grace and forgiveness. This is an embracing of what true grace and true forgiveness actually looks like. And there's a difference. Because grace is something that is so powerful. Like, I'm a big grace guy. But I'm also a guy that says, you can't read the Bible and... and and look at everything that is written in there. Let's just focus on the New Testament. Everything that was directed towards followers of Jesus Christ. You can't escape the fact that we're still called to lives of Christ-likeness and lives of holiness. That it's not, it's not either or, it's and. It's and. Yes, the grace of God is big. Yes, I'm forgiven of all my sins. But no, that does not give me license to go and sin however I want to. Instead, I should feel the responsibility of the, and the weight of that kind of love being directed at me and going, that love is worth changing my life for. And will I be perfect? No. But you know what? Christ is at least worth me trying for. He's at least worth that. So, I don't know. Like I said, this was a hard one to get through today, but what I want you to hear is that this idea of discipling each other and incorporating uh, some level of accountability, if you want to call it accountability or discipline, if you want to count, call it discipline, whatever it is, this is not the church like holding its thumb over people going, behave, behave, behave. That's not what this is about. It's about us actually putting into action the words we say when we tell each other that we love each other and going, I love you way too much to see you just squander the gift that God has given you. So I'm here with you. I'll walk through this with you.
How can I help? How can I pray? Let's have some conversations. Maybe we need to get somebody else involved and help us through this too, whatever that looks like. But that's what love looks like. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people are scared of that level of commitment, that level of love. So you guys know, and maybe you're one of them, that there's so many people that just don't know how to receive love. And when they really and truly experience love, they have a tendency to push it away. But down the road, they end up looking back on it going, you know, that, that person or that church or whatever, they really did love me. They really did care for me. They wanted what was best for me. They cared about my soul, not just whether or not I was putting a nickel in the plate. They cared about me. And that's the kind of church we want to be. Is it always going to be, are those conversations always going to be easy? Are they always going to be simple? No, because here's the thing that's, 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 that's true and what's beautiful about Living Hope Church is that if we're going to be a church that, gets, that, that, that really wants to offer hope to people who have no hope, that's not simple. It's not as simple as a sermon. It's not as simple as a song. It gets messy. When you get into the lives of people and try to help them change and turn their lives around, direct them towards Christ, it gets messy and it's never easy, but it is so worth it. Because you know what that is? That's us actually being the bride of Christ. That's us actually being a church, not just a group of people who get together on Sundays and sing songs and laugh at jokes. There's something to this that matters and is worth us going the extra mile to love someone properly. And no, it's not easy, but it is beautiful. It's beautiful. And in the, same way, in the same thing as a marriage, there's a reason God calls us his bride. Because those things get messy. Marriages aren't easy. If you go the distance in a marriage, you've been through some stuff. Right? You've, been, you've got some scars to show. and I mean, you've, got some, you've got some stories to tell. You've been through some things. You've cried some tears. Yeah, there's been great days too. And there's been days when you felt so in love and all of that kind of stuff. But, but, but that's not every day. It's the same thing in the life of a church. Yeah, it's going to be great. Man, you're going to come to church and we're going to sing songs and, 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 and you're going to feel those holy ghost bumps all over you. And I mean, you're just going to feel great. You're just going to walk out charged up. You're going to feel so encouraged. You're going to feel like you can charge hell with a water pistol. And then you're also going to walk through hell with somebody in the process and go, whew, that was rough. Or somebody's going to walk through your hell with you and you'll be thankful that they did. Because this thing is not for play. This is real life that we're doing here. And it doesn't magically get better just because you said you love Jesus. It's still life. And occasionally it still sucks. But that's why we're here for each other. Amen? Amen. All right. Sorry about that message. There's a chapter six, though. And I don't think it gets much better. So. <laughs> it's going to get good. Pretty good. I mean, we're going to be talking about how women can't talk in church soon and all kinds of stuff. It's just going to be great. Just going to be great. <laughs> so anyway, no, that's good. Hi guys, I, I, you know, I, I love that when God leads me to these series, when I kind of take my time through, through a book of the Bible like this, because it forces me to deal with some topics that I would not have chosen for myself. Um, but I think it's really beautiful that we get the whole scope of the, of the word and the whole scope of scripture. And, this is, and, and what I want to challenge you to do is kind of moving forward. Don't view this area of church life as something ugly or even something to be scared of. Like, it's, it's loving. It's beautiful when it's done properly. And I'm proud to be a church, a part of a church that, that does it properly. I really am. And so, 
It's good. Welcome to Living Hope. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. Uh, your word is, is uh, at times difficult, but it is still good. And so, God, help us to live up to your calling on us as a church. Um, God, I really pray that whether the times are good or whether they're difficult, that when the community around us looks at Living Hope Church, that they would see a body of people who genuinely love each other. Not just in word, not just in smiles and handshakes, but love each other enough to kind of get down in the mess with people and help them through it. And so, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love and your forgiveness. Thank you for calling us out of our sinful nature into our truly human nature. And as we try to attain that and try to be <coughs> the image bearers that you've created us to be, um, guide us, lead us. Let your Holy Spirit be ever present and his voice ringing loud in our hearts. And just keep us close to you. God, if there's anybody in the room that's struggling through something right now that they know is it's a sinful issue in their life that they know they need to, they need to get rid of it, God, I pray that you would impress upon them to, to reach out to us because we love them and we would want to help them. And um, reach out with confidence and not fear. Reach out knowing that they're part of a community of people that genuinely cares about them. So we thank you. Thank you so much for our church. Thank you that we can read stories like this in your word and learn from it and get good reminders from it and, and yet be thankful that um, we're blessed to be a part of a church that's generally healthy. So we give ourselves to you one more time. We ask that you would just lead us and guide us in the way that you want us to go. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.